Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home, live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. Well, we have a dream lineup for you today. Psychic dreamer, exploring the connection between dreams and intuition. Dr. Michael Lennox is in the house, and he's a psychologist, an astrologer, and an expert dream interpreter, and he's got a brand new book coming out. We're also going to hear from Matt Gramada. He's talking about helping to teach kids to budget during the holidays. It's a great time to do that. And then there's a new product on the market that's supposed to help us with colds. Everything you need to know to take you on the way home. All brought to you by Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. Balance of Nature is 10 servings when you take three and three of the fruits and veggies every day. 10 servings per day of 31 different fruits and vegetables. Just exactly what your body needs to give it the nutrition to fight off what it can, make you stronger, help you to be more clear and give you fantastic energy. Balance of Nature is easy to order. Just go online to balanceofnature.com and put Laura into the promo code for your 35% discount on your first preferred order and free shipping always. When we come back, Dr. Michael Lennox, don't go away. It's the way home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I don't know about you, but I dream prolifically. And when I say prolifically, I'm talking every night in living color and with themes and scenarios that would make Hollywood just, you know, shy. I'm telling you, I can't imagine not dreaming. And yet I have so many friends who say, oh, I don't really dream. And I'm like, how is that even possible? It's been a topic of interest of mine since I was a little girl. I remember getting like a dream dictionary, you know, in my teens and and trying to to figure out and, and interpret what they were all about. So when I come across someone who actually knows what they're doing with it, it really gets me going and very excited. Dr. Michael Lennox is here. He's a psychologist. He's an astrologer. He's also an expert in dreams and dream interpretation. He teaches classes all over the world. He has a podcast called Conscious Embodiment. He's got his own dictionary of dreams called Lewin's uh, Complete Dictionary of Dreams and Lewin's Little Book of Dreams, Dream Sight and Psychic Dreamer. Oh, my gosh, you are a dream come true. The guest I've been waiting for my whole life, Dr. Lennox and Michael, I will call you. Thank you so much for joining us. What an intro, Laura. Thank you for having me. The, the intro was worth the was was worth the visit. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, the show's over. That was it. Uh, oh, my goodness. It's true, though. It's something yeah. that I find so fascinating. And you obviously your the depth of your your understanding of this. I, I know that you did your dissertation having to do uh, something about you know, intuition and psychology and understanding dreams and everything. So this is I I want I, I from both ends, I would like to hear all about it because you have a new book that's going to be out in. Wow. Less than a like a month, a month and a half. Yeah. January 8th. Uh, January 8th. It's called Psychic Dreamer, Exploring the Connection Between Dreams and Intuition, two of my favorite topics in the world. So how is it? Um, that you can actually connect the the uh, the phenomena of of intuition with dreams, and are they? It, it, does it happen simultaneously when we're sleeping? And I'm getting these movies in my mind. 
are there some hidden messages in there? Well, let's start with the idea of what it's like when we are in our waking lives and we have an experience of intuition or we are attempting to connect to our intuitive guidance. What do we call that thing? We sometimes refer to it as the still small voice. Because mm. indeed, our waking life is dominated by what I like to call the narrator. It's the part of us that we are constantly talking to or with that knows who we are, where we are, when we are. It's our identity. And we we focus on our inner monologue as if that's who we are, but it's not. It's just a part of us that's like narrating the experience so that we don't bump into the furniture. Intuition is information that comes in different ways in 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 manner in in manners that are mysterious and small and quiet and powerful and that waking life narrating voice is very loud and the intuitive voice is very quiet and so anybody who's interested in developing their intuition in their waking life has to figure out a way to sort of identify and quiet the the big voice so that they can hear the other information. Well, the reason why there's such a great connection between dreams and intuition is because when we go into the dream state, that interfering mind is also asleep. And then we are free to be in what I think of as our incredibly powerful multidimensional perception machine that we are. And that that loud voice is sleeping and we get to tap into all sorts of other dimensions in the dream state. Okay. So would you go so far as to say that some dreams are just fantastical in their uh, just ha you know scenarios put together, like I mentioned before, that might be firings from the, from the, the, the mind? And yes. then maybe other dreams are actually messages, inner messages or truths that maybe have not become conscious yet. Yes, I think, in fact, both things are happening at once. In fact, we now that we know a lot more about brain chemistry and what's actually happening in the brain during REM sleep that has nothing to do with the vivid imagery of dreams, we know that there's there's practical functionality that's happening when we're dreaming, including this. We are forming short-term memory. So we are reviewing everything we've experienced during the day, going over it again, and the brain in some crazy quantum fashion is saying, oh, that's important, make that a memory, that's unimportant, put that into the abyss. And we, this is why dreams so frequently reflect the day's events, because on some function, we're actually reliving the day's events so that we can process the information that has come in. So that's happening while we are dreaming. The psychologists and the mystics also understand that there's something deeper going on that isn't about functionality, but about mysteriously opening up to realms where we are connected to information that's not just linear. And this is how some people can have what we call precognitive dreams, where you dream of something to come that has not yet arrived. I've had that. I had that. I did. I, I, with all of those dreams that I've had, I've actually had that. I had a dream one night right before Good Friday that, um, my car hit something and a piece of the metal rolled back as though almost like a can that's being opened. And, and I thought, well, that's odd. So I go to church the next day for Good Friday. And my tire hits the same side that the car in the dream was. My tire hits it and there's a gash that's put into my tire. And and I 
you know, missed the whole service and everything. But I thought, now that was absolutely for me a premonition dream. Yep, I didn't absolutely. know it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's part of the challenge is, is that when we are passive about this, we aren't going to be able to use this information directly because we, you know, it's it's happening and we barely notice it. But we can develop both the quietude of our waking mind through meditation and paying attention to dreams in a sort of significant way, like keeping a dream journal and making sure that your dream memory is active and that you're paying attention to them when you wake up. And both of those things, paying attention to quieting the mind during wakefulness and deepening your ongoing relationship with dreams can yield the result of becoming more in touch with that intuitive impulse when it comes so that you Absolutely. can use it and work with it. So you can use yeah, because um I would think that there's a lot of stored little gifts in there that are, you know, informing us that you know, either consciously or unconsciously every day. And if we just learn yes. how to tap into it better, A, and what I think you're going to be exploring in your new book, uh exploring the connection between dreams and intuition, psychic dreams, um, or dreamer, sorry. Yeah. Uh I, I so at what point can you actually discern which is which is which like you right. wake then, up you yes. write it down and you go this is obviously something I need to take you know is could be happening or this is just teaching me a lesson or this is something that's been bothering so I'm just regurgitating it in the nighttime how do you learn to discern one of the things that you do by recording your dreams is you sort of ground the memory of the sensation of the dream, the emotional content, what it felt like to be in it. And that's important to begin clocking because there are dreams that just simply feel chaotic and storyline crazy um, that sort of present themselves in that chaotic way. And that has a sensation. It's like, there's too much data in there to be of value. But dreams that are presenting intuitive information might be simpler in their storylines. There might be simply snippets that you remember as opposed to the whole dream. And that's something to pay attention to. And it's also just a matter of opening up the dialogue between you and your unconscious through your dream state and try not to get too attached to the result. Like if I pay attention to my dreams, I'll get more psychic. That may happen or may not happen. But what I promise you will happen is that as you start allowing your dreams to become more important to you and sacred in how you're holding them, everything will increase in the world of how you be in a mystical experience with this crazy world gone mad because dreams connect us to a power that's just greater than us. Mm, love that. And you're going to be talking about as well how maybe you can even manifest certain things by being a bit more mindful before you go to sleep about yes. maybe informing your own dreams about answers you may need. Is Am I... Yeah, you're that. absolutely getting into a territory that's one of my favorite sort of things about encouraging people to work with their dreams if they are also on a path of what we call in the sort of, you know, woo-woo contemporary world, manifesting. So what is manifesting? What are, what are you taught out there about how to manifest anything you want? First, you have to have the idea, right? So there has to be a mental component. I think of the idea of the thing I want. Then we're instructed to sort of trigger the emotional body into the feeling state that would align with having that thing. 
I want a million dollars is the thought and the feeling is, Woo, wouldn't that be lovely to have a million dollars? And mm-hmm. then we're told you can have anything you want if you simply do this. Except that's nonsense. You can't have anything you want. That's a lie. You can have anything that you're capable of creating. You can have anything that you have the talent to execute. You can have anything that you're able to attract and have in your heart the worthiness to receive. And this is where dreams come in. We may very often want things badly and can articulate that with our conscious mind. But in the unconscious, we might be saying, I don't think I deserve that thing. And the unconscious will win. So. Why? Because it's the much bigger place. It's where the motor is. Like it's we we think of our conscious awareness as all that in a bag of chips, but it's not. It's this tiny little peephole. So we don't bump into the furniture here. But everything else is much bigger and much more mysterious. And all of our behaviors and choices are driven by stuff that's below the surface of our unconscious mind. Guess where we go every night in our dreams? into that unconscious mind. And what are we doing in there? Are we having joyful parties? Sometimes, mostly we're visiting places where we are scared, enraged, anxious, overwhelmed, in doubt, in lack, in limitation. That's why most dreams that we remember are disturbing or scary. I believe and psychologists believe that The purpose of that is we have a rough day on a Tuesday. Then at night, on Tuesday night, we sort of practice how scary life is. And then we're able to wake up Wednesday better equipped to face life on life's terms. So back to the manifestation model. If it requires a conscious awareness of the yes and addressing any no's that might be below the surface, dreams are perfect for this. And then what you want to add to your daily, nightly routine is asking your dreams at night to give you information to support things you might need to know about that manifestation desire. You set that up as a prayerful intention before you go to bed. And now something that's already happening organically, you going into your unconscious to visit the places where you're afraid of life and you come up the next day less afraid, you've done some, you put some money in the bank of your unconscious participation in the manifestation process. Mm -hmm. And so give us an example, Michael, of, you know, what would that sound like before we fell asleep? Uh, Something that would be authentic that we might be asking ourselves uh, the ability to create while we're sleeping. Sure. So say the manifestation desire is a soulmate. That's a big one. People want to find their person. Right. So you decide that you're going to help a by maybe dating (laughs) You know, you got to get out in the world and have, you know, be in the right room for that. But then you set the intention. You say, I am manifesting my soulmate. What you would do at night before bed is get a little sacred with the bedtime process so that it's not, you know, haphazard and casual, right? That means you turn off the lights. You don't look at your screens. You maybe light a candle as you prepare. You make it a sacred act. You might want to write this down in your dream uh, journal as the intention itself to empower it. Write something like, All right, higher self, in this quest to attract soulmate love, what might I need to know about the fears I have about attracting such a beautiful thing? Send me dreams. Then you have to just trust the dreams that come. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, some of them may be 
difficult to interpret or hard? You know, do you think that it's possible if you really sit there and go over the dream? That's probably why it's important to write it down while when you upon waking because it, it's so easy to forget like 15 minutes into a busy day. Yes. But when you do, it, if you sit with it long enough, will the answers come, do you think? I would love to say, yes, they will to your audience. But what I want to make sure that we do instead is to is to convey the message that what's important is that you've engaged your unconscious in the conversation, not demanding that what your unconscious delivers you is a clean, neat dream package where you go, aha, I see exactly what that means, you know, uh, because it doesn't always clock that precisely in the experience of it. And we are working with the unconscious. The unconscious really is unconscious. So the the net result of the dream we get back might not be as if someone wrote it in a movie script. But if you just appreciate that whatever dream came and as you hold the dream that comes in your mind and heart, trust and know that you are doing the work at the level of the unconscious to make space down below for more deserving and manifestation of those desires. The rational mind that wants the clean, neat, precise dream, it's not even part of the process. It's just the one that's watching and talking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have instances where, I mean, I'm sure you've talked to literally thousands of people over the years regarding their dreams um, are there any anecdotal stories that you can uh, share with us that maybe show the the power of dreams or how somebody was able to discern it and, and use it within their daily life? Is there any I mean, there must be. Well, you know, I mean, it's the worst question to ask because there are so many dream stories that they're hard to sort of grab. When I think of, of the of the petitioning dream story that is the most sort of funny um, is a, uh, working with somebody who um, wanted to know if the relationship she was in that she had some ambivalence about um, was worthy of her staying and exploring. It's the relationship seemed similar to the old patterns, but different enough to be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I suggested a little dream uh, um Petitioning, meaning asking the dream to reveal something. So the dream that came was that she was at a party, an event that she came to understand was a celebration of the anniversary of her marriage. And her partner was in the other room and she came to know, too, that he had been behaving badly in the mm. dream. But this, this was all off, you know, off the screen before the dream started. And then he comes into the room where the party is, and it turns out to be her father. <laughs> oh, okay. So the, the unconscious delivered a very clear message. This relationship is from the old paradigm. It looks a little better, but it's just like marrying your father. And she entered the relationship. How cool. <laughs> that was a great example. I put you right on the spot and you delivered. That was awesome. Um, yeah, I those are things that I just I find so fascinating. And I have found also that when I really tune into the feeling of what's happening in the dream, more so on the actual events yes. or or details that are taking place, the the feeling that I get in with it is 
then I usually tap into something a little bit deeper and more meaningful in terms of guidance or something I may need to know. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Because the emotional timbre of the dream will tell you what the sort of theme is where the content of dreams is so wackadoodle that you can't trust the storyline to be as evocatively descriptive of what the dream is expressing until you add the feeling component, right? Because you can have a crazy violent image even and have the dream have a certain yummy feel or have a really yucky feel. And then that informs the interpretation quite, you know, succinctly. Yes, I've been um, in a situation. My my father passed away just a year ago, and I have a lot of friends who are experiencing that. We're at the time of our lives when our, yes. our loved ones are They're going passing. to the great beyond. And we were talking it just even like three nights ago about the difference between when we think we're actually having a visitation from yes. our loved one or whether we're just dreaming about them. Yes. And there's a very, very this is back to sensation. This is so clean and clear, it, it's trustable within an inch. If you're having a visitation experience, you will not be in a crazy scenario. You will be in a singular setting. So that singular setting might be an idyllic place in nature. It might be the bedroom in which you are sleeping. That is very, very common in visitation dreams. It might even be in a neutral white landscape but singular, not moving about. There's usually no dialogue whatsoever, but there's always a message conveyed. And the message is always very simple. It's either, I love you, all is well, something like that. And if it's spoken, it's spoken, but it's very simple. I love you, all is well. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the signs that you're not in a dream experience where your psyche is processing brain stuff and, and you are in a visitation when it feels that way. So it's very common for someone after someone has passed to have both experiences, the clean, clear visitation where it's a singular setting, but also dreams where they're just dreaming and that person is there, part of it, watching it in that experience. I would not call that a visitation. I would call that a grief processing where the person is just having a dream, that figure is in the dream processing emotions of, of separation and grief. But when it's that singular experience, it's a, it's a, and I have heard so many people who that experience itself was the spiritual awakening that changed their lives. Mm -hmm. Coming into a, a knowing that the experience that they had of the visitation dream was undeniable to them proof of a connection beyond the body. Yes. And it's true. It, 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 it absolutely is true with not only my own experience, but so many of my friends. And um, it's just all so very fascinating. There's so much going on uh, between going to sleep and waking up the next That's morning. Right. And we, like you said, we really focus on, you know, our the, the stuff during the day and not bumping into the furniture, but really at night, so much is taking place and it can be so, um, enlightening i think to for oneself to really to go in there because i think it reveals a lot um you know psychology obviously you know people go to therapists and things like this and you know the Jungian way is to constantly talk about dreams is it not yes it is so and um and 
but he has all these the archetypical things and stuff that goes into it. I just what I find fascinating is finding out what how I was feeling in the dream and trying to get to the the deeper message of it. And it's it's a it's just fascinating and it's wonderful actually. It makes me feel um it makes me feel safe actually. I I, I like I the idea of dreams. I'm not worried about nightmares. Do you agree? Yeah. No, I completely understand. First of all, when you were talking about your childhood experience about dreams and dreaming, it's like that's how I got into this. Just being an avid vivid dreamer and 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 then being in social situations in high school where people said I had a crazy dream and I just sort of stepped up and said let's interpret that. Um so yeah, I do I do I do agree 100% that it's the it's the richest way of connecting to a much greater energy. And yeah, they're scary. And sometimes people get overwhelmed by that. Like what I like to remind them when that's the case is just remember, it's happening inside of you. It's something you're containing. And it is your direct access to your higher dimensional self. It's worth the journey to open up that doorway and have a richer experience of them. And so do people, I, I know that you have, I was looking at your website and you have uh, sessions. Are these actual sessions where people will uh, divulge a dream and you'll interpret it for them? Or is it something totally different? Well, I like to say that you pay for my time, not what we do. So if you pay for 45 minutes of my time, we can swap recipes if that would please you. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> people who know that I'm that I'm a psychologist who works in dreams will often, it doesn't happen that frequently because mostly I work as an astrologer in my private sessions. But um, I would say 5% of my sessions as an astrologer also include dream interpretation. And then when I teach my classes, because I teach classes in self-investigation and shadow work and processing to learn, you know, who you are more, um, uh, people will flood themselves with dreams during my classes. So I do a lot of dream interpretation at the class level. Wow. So just real quick, because we have to wrap up, but I could talk to you for the entire hour. Um, you'll have to definitely come back when the book comes out. But is, is there any correlation whatsoever between astrology and dream life or none whatsoever? Well, you know, in my body, there is because I interpret dreams and I interpret astrology. And in some ways, that act as I experience it in my body is exactly the same. With the dream, I'm interpreting the symbols that line up to tell the story. In astrology, I'm interpreting the planet, the placement, the angle, the house. Those are just like symbols in a dream that each have an archetypal meaning associated with them. I know that language well. So in some ways, they're the exact same thing. And while astrology isn't about diving into the unconscious to sort of figure things out, they both, interpreting dreams and interpreting astrology, is like staring into the abyss of the unknown, grabbing what little information is there, interpreting into that, and and developing a sense of safety in the terrifying abyss, because we're connecting to these larger energies that ultimately have our back. Wow. Fascinating conversation, Dr. Michael Lennox psychologist, astrologer, and an expert in dreams and dream interpretation. So excited for your new book coming out, Psychic Dreamer, Exploring the Connection Between Dreams and Intuition. Oh, I have a feeling it's going to be absolutely riveting and wonderful. And anyone should uh, be 
able to find it come January 8th. That's when it drops on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold, I'm sure. Is that true? It is true. Books everywhere. If you want to pre-order it, go ahead. Uh, Both independent bookstores and online. But yeah, I'm excited for the book. Uh, and please give us your website so people can find you too. MichaelLennox.com. And everything everything about what I do is is findable there. Wonderful. MichaelLennox.com. Well, you are a dream come true in terms of a guest a guest on my radio show. So thank you for that terrible uh, a pun at the end there. But <laughs> what a what a joyous and great conversation. Thank you so much. Really thank appreciate you for it. Me. I really appreciate it coming on. Yes, thank you too, Dr. Michael Lennox. And michaellennox.com is the website. When we come back, more from The Way Home. I'm Laura Smith. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I think a lot of us were a little mystified recently when we saw reports on the news that some of the cold and flu remedies that were so traditional that we had been taking so long as a population, um, we just assumed they were helping us to get better. Things like Sudafed and and uh, Theraflu and things like that. We we just assumed they were helping, and that's what we had to to go for when we would feel sick. But according to the latest reports, they said this stuff is just a placebo. It's never worked. It'll never work for you. And I think a lot of us then were left with, well, then now what? Dr. Nasli Latifi is here. She is the co-founder and chief scientific officer at Applied Biological Laboratories. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm really excited to speak to some about something I'm really passionate about. Well, I'm glad you're passionate about it because I, I really was scratching my head thinking, Okay, now what? Now what are we supposed to do? It's coming up on cold and flu season, and um, but the old standbys are no longer available and apparently weren't even good for us to begin with. So what have you done? What have you found out um, with your research and the science uh, behind your laboratories there? Is there something that we can turn to now that might be better? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. First, um, I'll do a little bit of a history. So the FDA... Um, no, obviously, has uh, been have faced a lot of controversy, but um, at the end of the day, it's a government or- organization that wants to help people and wants to keep the public safe and um, also give the public options. So when people are sick, they want to be able to take something. And a lot of these ingredients were developed in the 1950s, um, where the science was not as advanced as it was today. And, um, you know, people had symptoms and they wanted to be able to take something. So a lot of these ingredients like phenylephrine, like you mentioned, and a lot of other ones, dextromethorphan, guafenicine, which is in mucinex, um, and pseudoephedrine, and even acetaminophen, which is in Tylenol, they're all proven not to work. Um, they all uh, came on the market about the same time. And, um, you know, it was basically based on consumer experience, how, how people felt when they took these products. And they felt good because what they do is they numb you. So they felt good, but only for a short time. Um, and then there is a rebound effect and all these other issues um, that now we have the science to understand why it's happening. 
And more importantly, um, we our research has been focusing on what really happens. Um, we have the ability to use tools now that weren't available back then in the 1950s. Um, and research progresses in line with the tools that are available. So we were able to use the latest tools that are available in other fields and apply it to the respiratory system and to really drill down and just and 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 figure out what's happening. Um and um, the FDA hopefully uh, will catch up as um, you know we're we're leading the way in the new science, and we're the first ones that are at the forefront of taking this new science and making it into a product. So hopefully we'll lead the way into changing um, the products and what's available to people. And do you, do you have one already that's being tested that uh, that you've come out with? Uh, yes, actually, um, we have our product has been on the market for two years. It's called BioVanta, B-I-O-V-A-N-T-A. Um, now it's available as a dietary supplement in a throat spray and lozenge. And it's also available as an over-the-counter drug, which has aspirin, um, which we specifically chose and we use the lowest possible dose of it. Um, we use aspirin specifically and not ibuprofen or acetaminophen, which is in Tylenol because it works specifically on the pathway that causes respiratory inflammation. And um, the other ones don't. They do address pain, but both ibuprofen and acetaminophen have been studied um, for cold and flu symptoms and they haven't proven to reduce the duration of the illness, although um, they do lower fever, but they don't overall reduce the duration of the illness. We're publishing a clinical trial right now, and it works on all of the symptoms. It um, has a blend of anti-inflammatory and immune-boosting ingredients to work on multiple fronts. Uh, we've been working on this formula for 10 years, and uh, we based it on uh, what is actually happening, the, the biochemical pathways. It's really like all about inflammation. So everything is linked. If you think about it, um, you know, your nose goes down to your throat um, and your ears are connected down to your throat also. So the inflammation in one area really affects the other areas. And um, BioVanta, even though it's a throat spray, um, it uh, it does have menthol and wintergreen oil, which are vapors, which you inhale through your nose, and it helps you that way. But it also addresses the inflammation, which is also going to help your whole respiratory system. A lot of modern medicine and modern pharmaceuticals really focus on one aspect, one specific aspect of the pathway, what's going wrong. We take a more holistic approach um, and work with the natural mechanisms. And um, yes, so BioVanta can be found on our website. It's BioVanta.com, B-I-O-V-A-N-T-A.com. Um, we're also being sold um, at leading pharmacies nationwide, uh, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, um, Kroger's, Publix. Um, I can't keep up. They're always adding them. But um, on our website, you can uh, order it for delivery um, within one to two days or on Amazon, or you can put in your zip code and find a pharmacy near you. That is so great to know. Thank you so much, Dr. Nasli Latefi, with good news for the just in time for the golden flu season. BioVanta might just be the thing that will help you. I'm so grateful to have you on today. Thanks for coming on the way home. Thank you. 
You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. Well, I don't know about you, but I've never been that good with money. And so when I had my daughter, uh, it was kind of hard for me to model great behavior to her when it came to finances, budget. I used to say, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing, which probably not the best recipe for success in teaching your kids how to manage their money. But uh, there is somebody who knows all about that and can give some great tips, especially now during the holidays when spending money just feels like it's a constant. Matt Gramada is currently the head of the family student and starter banking business for Chase. And uh, do tell. Thank you for coming on, Matt Gramada. Well, thank you so much for having me. I got to say, I'm one of those folks who like learned, made all the mistakes, and I'm trying to help my son, Ben, who's two, eventually make right the right choices. So we can help anyone. We are thrilled to do it. That's great. Well, let's let's start with the basics. It is the holidays coming up. Uh, we tend to start buying that. I don't know about other people, but I'm already starting to buy Christmas presents and put them away. And I'm all already thinking about um, different. I've got a lot of birthdays and Christmas and, and Thanksgiving coming up. And I know I'm going to spend a ton of money on food this year. So what do I do? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it back to the kids. Right. Because, you know, sticking to our own budgets, my goodness, that is hard, especially at this time of year. But like just like a little bit of prep, a little bit of mindfulness can take some of the stress out of the holidays. And then I'll tell you one of my biggest struggles is then once I okay, I've made the budget, but how do I know I'm doing okay, or how am I doing on the spending? And frankly, there are so many good digital tools out there that can make it so easy to stay on top of that stuff. One of my favorites lives right in the Chase app, right at the top, a little feature called Snapshot. And it gives you a daily digest of everything you spend, broken up by category. Maybe you want to see it, maybe you don't want to see it, but at least it's there and it helps you stay on track. That is really amazing because, yeah, I have the Chase app. So um, so then just having a conversation about it. So if, if something is as simple as saying, now you have an allowance and or here's some money that you have and you have to spend some money on this, that and the other. Let's put it aside now. How do you teach a, a child or a young person um, to have the discipline to that put it somewhere so that when it comes comes time to use it, that they're going to have it there? OK, older kids, let's say they're getting an allowance or maybe they have their first job and they're in high school or whatever. Simplest budget ever is the 50, 30, 20, right? Of the amount of money you have coming in, 50% should go to your needs, 30% go to things you want, and 20% ideally should go to savings. Mm. Now, with a kid, you're, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, I pay for all my kids' stuff. Like, they don't, you're going to have a conversation with them about needs. They're not going to, it's okay because you're, starting the conversation with them, maybe even making them realize how much you spend on their needs. But importantly, you're, you're starting like building the bridges to concepts that they're going to and can use the rest of their life. 50, 30, 20. I like what you're saying about conversation. I mean, I know that sounds basic, but sometimes just gearing up and committing to having a conversation is sometimes hard because you think, oh, they're not going to listen. They don't have time for me, you know, to talk about this or they're going to be fidgety. They're going to get bored. They're not going to focus. So 
But to have the conversation you're saying is really the first step. So the first step. And I'll tell you what, the, the smaller you make the conversation, the more you take the emotion out. Right. Because I'll tell you, one of my favorite things about working at Chase is, yeah, we're a bank, but we're in the emotions business. Right. Because money is stressful and it's embarrassing and it makes you worried and makes you proud times, too. But right. The more that you can have a simple conversation with your kids. Right. It helps get over some of the things we all feel. We all feel about those conversations about money. Absolutely. Now, um, what are some actual tangible things that we can tell them the 50 30 20 is a great place to start but what do we do do we have them put a certain amount in an envelope for each of those and then you know tell them they can dip into that when a need comes up or a want comes up or what how, what are some of the practical tips so to, to, to get practical what we talk to so many parents and what we learn is look different kids at different stages need different tools full stop And so, and it's not even the same family by family. Each family manages things a little differently. So it comes down to having the right tools for the right time of their life, the right kid. So your bank can really help with this. Many banks have tools for kids. At Chase, we actually have a product for every age kid. When they're little, we've got a piggy bank, you know, with a youth savings account, right? The real little. Then when they're starting to really be interested in money, frankly, maybe they want a little independence. Maybe they want to start spending their own money, but they need training wheels. We have a product called Chase First Banking, right? They get a debit card, but the parents get control. They set the limits. They set the spending rules. They get alerts on the spending. Heck, you can even manage allowances and chores through the Chase app when they have Chase First Banking, and it's free. And then when they're a little older, there's high school checking, which is more independent. Right? They can use Zelle to pay their friends back. Maybe they have a job. They can get paid directly into their, that account. They're the owner of the account, but it's jointly owned with you. So you still see what they're doing. You can get alerts on their spending. You can stay close to them. So those are the practical tools right, to give your kids the baseline for the future confidence we know we, they want to have. That's really great. I think back now, my daughter's grown. I, that would have been really wonderful to have that. It probably was something, a version of it was available then. I just didn't realize. So I'm so happy you're, you're on here today, Matt Gramada, to tell us this because um, people should know what's available to them. And now with these, the whole cash thing, you know, I use Zelle for everything, everything, everything. And it's, it's so helpful. And the, the direct deposit with the, the checks going right into the account from the camera on your phone these things feel like godsends. Really, they do. But I can see where helping to have, bring your child along with you along the way with these ban- banking practices and, and using these fabulous tools that I didn't know were available, but are now. And is there anybody that can help at Chase? Like, say you have a question or something like that. How it, Where would you go? Is there a, a person I can talk to? Is Macromata like available 24-7? I'll give you my home number. Uh, we have branches in every one of the lower 48 states and thousands of bankers who are trained to help you do this. You don't just have to walk into one of our 5,000 branches only when you have a problem, only when you want to open an account. Our folks are there to help you. We are in the service business. We're in the emotions business. We want to help. Come in with a question. We'd love to help you. 
Fantastic. Thank you. What's a good website to go to and and just some of the, the easiest things to remember so that people can get started with their kids and t- training them with great practices with money? The easiest, just come to chase.com. If you have kids, go to chase.com slash student banking. Hey, that's easy. So Absolutely easy. great. So yes, chase.com slash student banking. Wonderful stuff there. Thank you so much. You're making me feel a little bit calmer, just myself, because I feel like a kid when it comes to finances, even though I'm not. Thanks so much for for joining us today and telling us something that really can change, I think, a lot of people's relationship to money at a much younger age and get them started to to real uh, fiscal uh, responsibility, I would say. A little health, make them feel better. Absolutely. And fun, too. That's a fun way to do it. Thank you so much. That's Matt Cormada, once again, from Chase Bank, helping families get started with banking. I'm Laura Smith. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, Jim Cleefield goes out and he finds good news stories that are actually dreams come true for a lot of people. Jimmy, great to have you. As always, as my guru of good news, what is the first story today? Well, you talk about Christmas miracles. This may be the miracle of all miracles as far as a local food bank in Washington State is concerned. It's based in Auburn. I'll tell you the story here. They want to move into a new facility, a much bigger facility out there in the Pacific Northwest because there's a growing need for food uh, for people out there. We're having a tough time out there. Uh, and the problem is, though, is not money necessarily, or at least the infrastructure. Actually, money is the problem here because they are – in debt to their contractor, who is building the new building, which is not quite finished yet, to the tune of $800,000, as a matter of fact. What to do, right? Well, Debbie Christian, who has been the executive director of the Auburn Food Bank for about 17 years, wonders, where am I getting the money? Well, she got an unexpected phone call from a young woman, and she was asking her a whole bunch of questions like, what do you do? Who you are? Uh, why do you need the $800,000? And Debbie was talking to a local broadcast outlet in Seattle about this. Well, guess what? Shortly after that phone call, it turned Turns out this young woman was representing a gentleman. We don't know who his name is. He's an anonymous donor who's giving that $800,000. Talk about a beautiful donation, especially at this time of year as we're knee-deep into the holiday season. Well, the gentleman then said to Debbie, look, you know, you need this money. Pay the debt and go into your building. Do what you need to do. And you can imagine Debbie was so elated to hear about this donation from this gentleman through that woman. She said, not only can I pay the debt off, I can finally, at a long last, shake the hand of the contractor and say, job well done. Because the reason they need to move into this building, and this really is the emphasis, at the time that we're hearing of higher inflation, economic issues, and especially this LJ, food insecurity. I mean, that's that's fact. That's happening all over the country, particularly in this state. And they need the extra space because they just don't have the room in the current facility. There's not the infrastructure and the space for the food boxes. That's why they need to do it. And she's just so grateful because, as I say, it's another case of the community coming together. And as I said, the Lord works in mysterious ways, the ultimate Christmas miracle. And now, just in time for the holiday season, they can move into this building and be able to serve the needs of the people because that's what the holiday season and the spirit of the holidays is really all about. And with an anonymous donor, I those people that live their lives that way quietly but generously are truly in my book those are the heroes they are dreams come true for sure do you have any uh 
a second story because, you know, you can never have enough good news. Well, I thought I never thought you asked, LJ. As a matter of fact, there was a daring rescue in Colorado on a mountain. There was a dog who was missing for two months, name of Nova, who uh, somehow ended up on some Colorado mountains and unfortunately suffered a broken leg. Well, fortunately, some intrepid hikers came across this injured furry and were able to rescue him with some help with local uh, animal control and also uh, the open space rangers. Uh, the initial effort, unfortunately, one of the hikers suffered a bite and had to go get medical attention. But eventually, the good news is, is they were able to get help from the animal control and the rangers to eventually get this dog down and reunite it with its owner, who is very, very happy. We don't know who the owner is. Uh, how it got lost, we really don't know. But it's really a case of not only compassion, community coming together. And here's a phrase I really like because I'm a dog lover myself, canine camaraderie. I love that. And the fact that Nova was reunited, I mean, they're just celebrating in that part because, uh, again, it was a very harrowing situation. Not easy to climb all the way up that mountain, but they were able to rescue the dog. I'm happy to say it's rightfully back with its owner. It's being cared for and eventually will need some surgery. But everybody's just pleased because, uh, I mean, how that dog got there, we don't know. But two months is an awfully long time, but it ends well. Squirrel. I bet it was a squirrel. I mean, you know. Well, it's a dog. Just saying. Yeah. A dog will climb up a mountain just to get the squirrel. Probably. But anyway, yes. Happy, happy he was reunited with his owner. Can you imagine? I love these stories where it ends like that, where they're reunited with their pets. I can't imagine that incredible feeling of thinking that you've lost your your baby forever, the furry, and then only to find it again. So that's wonderful. Thank you for going out there and finding all that good news. I know it's hard work. It's worth it. (laughs) But uh, we're super grateful for it as we now completed episode 199 of The Way Home with Laura Smith. And should I add, Jim Cleefield and Bob Small, our producer. Our radio Thank you to you guys. And it's a great way to end the year as well on, uh, you know, on such a high number. And when we come back next year, it'll just be more and more. We'll be, uh, we'll have a whole lot, another 52 to add to the 200. Thank you both. And thank you everyone for listening. Have a wonderful week and take good care. Lots of love. I'm Laura Smith.